Think big. Think positive. Never show any sign of weakness. Always go for the throat. Buy low, sell high. Fear, that's the other guy's problem. Nothing you have ever experienced can prepare you for the unbridled carnage you're about to witness. Right. Super Bowl, the World Series, they don't know what pressure is. In this building, it's either kill or be killed. Right. You make no friends in the pits and you take no prisoners. No prison. One minute, you're up half a million in soybeans and the next, boom. Your kids don't go to college and they've repossessed your Bentley. Are you with me? Hello and welcome to Turner's Take Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Turner, author of Turner's Take Newsletter, also a broker here at StoneX. I specialize in grain and oilseed and surrounding me on the team here, we've got experts in the energy markets, including natural gas and crude oil, uh, livestock and protein, uh, interest rates, plastics, foreign currencies, anything to do with futures, options, and OTC. If you have any questions for me, please give me a call at 800 800- 958-9470 or 312-706-7610. My email is craig.turner at stonex.com. All my information's in the show notes for the podcast too. If you like the podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. Helps people find us and information about the newsletter is in the show notes too. All right, so let's jump into it. Uh, a couple of things. One, Fed did raise interest rates, so that went up a quarter point. Uh, I'm not surprised you know we've got the economy we're probably not going to go into a recession now we had slow growth for a while but we're looking like maybe not a recession number two employment is still down below four percent um so you know and, and remember you know the you know the fed's dual mandate one of them is you know try to get to maximum employment so the economy's going slowly but it's going it's not not in recession and unemployment is strong if anything we have a shortage in labor and then inflation. And inflation is still high, but it is coming down. And we saw the PCE, which is the it is the personal consumption expenditure, which is what the Fed looks at for inflation. I know I talk about CPI, but the the Fed really pays attention to PCE. And it give you know there's there's a there's different baskets that you can look at for inflation, but that PCE one, so the Fed thinks of kind of like your daily spend, your monthly spend on you know living costs, um, is what they're gonna they're they're gonna be watching. So that came down to three percent, I want to say, and it's been the lowest it's been since this inflation started. So we've got inflation somewhere depending on which metric you look at, three and four percent. Fed wants to get down there to 2%. Economy isn't in recession. It's still chugging along. Employment numbers, unemployment numbers are low. And the Fed raised interest rates again because they really want that inflation number down to 2% if possible. And it's getting closer. And if we didn't have the tightness in the labor market, we might already be there. So I don't think we'll go above 6% with the Federal Reserve interest rate hikes. I don't think we're coming below 5% either. So we'll see what happens here. I think the market's gonna price in one more quarter point and we'll be like this five and a half to five, seven, five and three quarters on the interest rates. And it's gonna keep, and we'll see what happens uh, with with that. And what's kind of nice now is now the business community and the financial community probably have a, a hold on where interest rates are going to be for a while. And that just you know, that just helps stabilize things. So 
that's where we are on the macroeconomics of things. Personally, I think we're going to see some more growth here, which is why I like energy. And I think it's just a matter of time before crude oil breaks above into the 80s and maybe even to the 90s if things really start get going with the economy. Uh, natural gas is probably still a two, you know, a two to four dollar market, averaging around three. So we can produce natural gas in this country fairly quickly and ramp up production. But I think with crude, it's a little bit harder. So, and not just the, the crude side; it's really the refinery, you know, capacity. We have been, I feel, getting away with having lower capacity. And not putting any, you know, any money into refineries, whether it be heating oil or diesel or gasoline, that's going to come back and bite us at some point. And even with the growth in green energy, which is great, including renewable biodiesel, but there is a tipping point here where if the economy really starts to come back in the United States and Europe, China and the rest of the world, uh, demand could start outstripping supply. So I, I do like I do like crude. I like looking at the Decembers. I look. I like looking at June 2024. We could play it with futures. We could play it with future spreads. You know, spreading maybe the front months. You know, against uh, December 24, or we can look at buying calls, which are expensive. So maybe buying call spreads or buying calls selling a put spread. There's a lot of different ways to do it. So if you have any that none of these are specific trade recs but if you want to talk about it what makes most sense either for your business or your account happy to talk about it but i do like that i think we're finally pointing in in that direction on the grain and oil seed sides so a lot of volatility this month we had ukraine where russia step up attacks on ukraine the black sea deal is done We've had hot weather. I mean, it's hot right now, I'll tell you that much. And uh, you know, the rain's just been okay. hasn't been It hasn't been great. We have had some crop tours. So let's just take a look, big picture here. But we are getting to the end of July, and seasonally, the highs are in usually, unless there's a drought, a, a serious drought. And it doesn't look like we're having a serious drought like we did in 2012, North Canada did two years ago. So let's take a look. We're going to start off in the corn market. When I take a look at corn, and we're talking 94 million acres here, USDA has it as a 177 yield. That's the case with normal demand. We're at a 2.2 billion carryout. Really does not justify $5 corn at all, unless there's some questions out there, plus all the other commodities are high, which is what's going on right now. So fine, we're in the fives here, but it just doesn't over the long term as prices come in for all the commodities, even with the inflation that we've had, it doesn't, uh, it just doesn't make sense. But it can live up here for a while. And another thing with, with the grain markets is the feed and residual at 5.6 billion or 5.7 billion could be high, just considering the number of animals and the feeding that's been going on. Ethanol at 5.3 billion on the usage for the 23-24 crop makes sense. Don't expect that to change much. Exports at 2.1 billion seem lofty. Really wouldn't be surprised if that was lower. Now, you can make the argument, if you can't get corn out of the Black Sea, it's gotta go into Europe. That's not efficient, that's also costly. You could see traditional Ukraine corn buyers 
go to South America first, then the United States. So maybe that 2.1 billion on the export is legit. Maybe. Uh, I'm willing to I'm willing to leave that 2.1 billion export there for a while. But if anything, at the risk, I still think the risk is going low, just because we haven't seen, just haven't seen any real demand for corn here. Exports have not been that great. And we'll see. Lots probably going to hinge on how much corn can get out of Ukraine through the rail system and then into Europe and then either be, let's say, exported through Croatia and down to the south into the Mediterranean and out of Europe, or how much of it can get eventually into like uh, the Baltic states and then go through the Baltic Sea and kind of up and over through Europe. We'll see. And there are ways to do it with truck and rail, but you know, if Russia starts bombing Western Western Ukraine to cut off some of those rail and roads uh, that go into Europe, that'd be a problem. But we'll see if they just stick with with the Black Sea here. So it remains, regardless, deserves to have an elevated and a geopolitical geopolitical uh, premium in it on the prices. What is interesting though is if we were at a 177 or a let's say 173 let's say we're 173 yield we're still at 1.8 billion if we go to a 170 yield we're still at like 1.6 billion so we start to get a little bit more snug in the corn market but we have to have a yield of below 170 most likely to get start getting tight and that's just not something we see right now the yields of or the conditions have been a little bit better than people thought corn is pollinated in much of the south and the southeast and now in the in the northern part this heat didn't help things but there has been rain so a 170 yield or higher i don't think is out of the question and the wild card every year with corn is, is i'm always surprised at how well these hybrids do and the technology and the farming practices during tough years and the yields tend to be better than expected unless it's just an unforgiving relentless drought like we saw 10 years ago in the United States and two years ago in Canada or 11 years ago in the United States. So that's where I am on corn. I do think these corn eventually goes into a carry, maybe 20, 30, 40 cents. If we have any kind of carry out ending stocks numbers close to 2 billion, keep in mind because of the interest rates, full carry on these corn is now close to a dollar. I don't think we're, we're not going there, but just remember that's the mathematical calculation. And between corn, wheat, and soybeans, unfortunately, you know, for the farmers out there who love, you know, corn is plant more corn acres than anything else in the United States. Uh, that's the one that looks most bearish on paper here. So for, and if you're a buyer, I'm sure the buyers, you know, know that, um, and they're probably patient with making purchases. On the soybean side, we've got you know, that 83 and a half million acres that we saw, I know I've talked about it before, but bringing us down 4 million acres, just keep soybeans tight for the rest of the year. I know the USDA brought down demand to get the ending stocks to 300, and I'm not surprised on that. South America has a lot of soybeans. They're going to be shipping a lot of soybeans. They're also going to plant a ton of acres again. The conditions in South America have been improving. Just to talk, skip ahead and talk about wheat for a second, the winter wheat Argentine, Argentina is planting is about 96% complete, and nearly 80% of the wheat that was planted is in good to 
optimal conditions considering soil moisture and that just came out from the exchanges down there this week, which means after what, two or three years of La Nina, we're finally getting some favorable growing conditions in Argentina, which has had a real rough go of it the past two or three years. And we may see finally, you know, a, a very good crop coming out in Argentina, starting with winter wheat. So, and if that keeps on continuing to corn and soybeans down in South America, we could have a very good year. They are due for one overall. And yeah, then, I mean, soybean exports could come down to 1.6 billion. You know, forget about staying at 2 billion. We can go and the USDA having us at 1.850. Uh, we could be at 1.6. Uh, and then all of a sudden ending stocks instead of 300 or 500. We'll see. I mean, there's a long way to go with the soybean market. The thing with soybeans too, because they're so volatile, is we only produce soybeans in basically two geographical locations for the global export market unlike corn and certainly wheat, where wheat is produced all over the world for exports, spring wheat and, and winter wheat. So any kind of weather issues that happen in South America, weather scare tends to have an outsized relationship to the change in price, but it could be a selling opportunity for farmers, but likely if we, if we do have a good crop, in South America next year. And we have a, over a 50 yield here in the United States, which looks likely, you know, maybe we're eventually at 12 bucks or maybe even $11 in soybeans. So any kind of runs into the 14 or 15 area, 14 for, you know, 14 for new crop and eventually new crop becomes old crop. At that point, you know, maybe we can get some runs into the 15s this, let's say late fall into winter when planting happens in South America, if they get the acres and that crop comes in, you know, that's going to be, going to be a lot of soybeans, just a lot of soybeans. Now, the thing is with beans and the oil seeds does have the best demand driver going and that is renewable biofuel and that'll continue. So that's what keeps soybeans going from 10 bucks. Could still be in 11 and 12 with some very good, uh, with, with some very large stocks just because of that renewable biofuels is gonna keep things going as the, capa I mean, the capacity for soybean oil, uh, for renewable biodiesel and also for canola oil is, is gonna double here. It looks like, and it looks like the way ethanol, we used a billion bushels a year for ethanol in the corn market in 2007. And by 2012, we were almost at 5 billion bushels. I mean. By the way, think about it this way. Back in 2007, the United States produced about 11 billion bushels of corn a year. Now we're up to 15. And that 4 billion bushel, which is a lot, all had to come because of the ethanol mandates. And soybean oil looks the same way. So there's going to be this demand driver for the for soybeans and soybean oil. But still, there's going to we're, we're going to probably expand on the balance sheet sometime. I would say in February, March, April of 2024, as long as South America has a decent crop. So that's where we are in soybeans. And August is critical. We are pod setting, pod filling. It's a critical time for soybeans, but the weather is breaking. There is gonna be some rains there and soybeans are less sensitive the, to the heat than and the dryness than corn is. Um, so we're expecting at least a, a decent crop there. Same thing for canola. 
Canola's having a lot of issues up in Canada, but I don't know if we're going to have a sub-17 million metric ton crop. Canola and on the board around 800. I don't think there's a reason right now to be in the 600s like it was before we had these weather issues. Certainly, yields are going to be lower than we originally thought in the beginning of the season, but no one's projecting a 30 or 40% yield loss like we had in during the drought two years ago. Uh, could we see a 10 to 15% yield loss? That's that's definitely possible, and that keeps canola in the in the seven eight hundreds, along with soybeans in let's say the 12 and 13 dollar range. If that's the case, so that brings us to wheat. The wheat market. What I like about the July WASDI is you do get a sense of what's going on in the wheat market and the class size uh, for it. And I, as we said on the podcast before, Chicago wheat wasn't as burdensome as I thought it would be because, because we end up having more usage. And then the Kansas City crop ending stocks wasn't as bad as, I, as tight as I thought it was going to be because it does seem like wherever you can substitute Chicago for Kansas City, the USDA accounted for that. North Dakota had very good we had the crop tour in north dakota this week ended up being very good uh, better than expected the north dakota yields were estimated at about 47 bushels an acre last year was 49 so it's two off of last year but the five-year average is 40. so we did much better compared to the five-year average which also bodes very well for let's see just looking at the map here that would be southwest manitoba and southeast Saskatchewan. And that is some prime area for canola and soybeans in Canada. And remember, Canada produces, from all the spring wheat that's produced in North America, Canada represents about two thirds of it. The United States represents about a third. And of what the United States produces, more than half of it's in North Dakota. So spring wheat crop should be pretty good in the United States. Spring wheat crop in Canada, I know there are some concerns there, but um, just after hearing North Dakota, all that surrounding area in Canada, the Canadian prairies that are cl close to North Dakota, um, I, I would think, I think the trade's going to start factoring in a little bit better than expected. Now, there's a lot of problem spots up there, but uh, at least it sounds like the good spots are pretty good. So we'll see how that shakes out too. Uh, what's going to be interesting with wheat, Russia has to come in with a big spring wheat crop. It looks like there's some quality issues, but it, it sounds like they will. India is having a real tough time. Not only did they have to ban uh, rice exports because of food inflation, but they're probably, you know, they may be a they may be an importer of wheat. We'll see how that goes. So, and we have the Black Sea issue, and it, the Black Sea issue really sent up wheat up into the nines again, especially in spring wheat. There's really no reason to be nine or even ten dollars in spring in Kansas and also in Kansas City wheat, unless there's some real geopolitical issues going on. It looks like the Black Sea deal is done now to prevent a humanitarian crisis and also to make sure wheat doesn't get over ten bucks. Two things have to happen: Russia has to come through on exporting wheat into Africa, which I'm sure they will. It's in their best interest to do that and to take over that trade. And then the bigger wild card is, will Ukraine be able to get wheat along with corn and sunflower oil into Europe through truck and rail lines? 
Um, and then we'd either have to go through like Croatia in the Adriatic Sea into the Mediterranean, or you got to get to the Baltic states and go through the Baltic Sea. We'll see. It they have apparently, and I this is something I did not know, of all of Ukraine's exports, 60% of it has been going through the EU, and 40% has been the Black Sea. And now they're trying to figure out to get that last 40% to go through the European Union. And I think the market believes they can do it. What would really, what would just crush that is if Russia bombed or destroyed the the railroads in the western part of the Ukraine and the roads that, you know, the highways that basically they're using for these export lines out of Ukraine into, into Eastern Europe. So that is the wild card. And now if that were to happen, now we're talking $10 wheat again. But as long as that doesn't happen, we're still in the six, seven, and eight dollar range for wheat, as opposed to where we were before, you know, before the pandemic in 2019, where it's four, five, and six dollars. So that is what it's looking like here. So from the a farmer perspective, corn looks like the most bearish. If you're a farmer, I wouldn't just be looking at unloading these 23 here. I'd be looking at December 24, and if you can't do it at the elevator, I would do it to the option markets, probably through a collar, buying a put, selling a call. That's what we've been doing. I like that. Uh, on the spec side, I mean, I, I would encourage everyone to take a look at the DCD spread. Anything that's trading at an inverse that could go to a carry looks like an interesting play in the corn market. Um, on And soybeans and high-protein wheat deserve to trade in a wide a wide range on the higher end of historical prices until a for soybeans you get more production come out of south america and for wheat we just that's the black sea and that's just a major wild card and one last thing about wheat and then we're going to wrap this up remember 80 percent of the world's global export wheat market is produced in the northern hemisphere so winter wheat is harvested and now we're going to be harvesting the spring wheat for the next two months, let's say, between the United States, Canada, and Russia, and then that's it. Then we're not going to have another sh you know, shot of wheat into the global export market for supplies again until Argentina and Australia can harvest winter wheat and spring wheat in their seasons. That only makes up for 20% of the global export market. So we're going to be tight. We're going to have to price ration wheat now for the next 12 months again. And yes, Argentina sounds like they're going to have a much better knock on wood production. So that maybe that helps Australia having some weather issues. But it really does take another full cycle to, to have wheat prices break. So if the, on the consumer side, you're just buying the breaks. And I think for the, the farmers, you get into these upper ranges here where spring wheat's in the nines, you know, Kansas City's in the high eights, low nines, Chicago's going towards eight. That, that really should be selling opportunities on the farmer side and those breaks you know in you know into seven for spring wheat and you know low sevens for Kansas City and the sixes for Chicago is just going to be a buying opportunity it's hard to see us go much through that that range that we just talked about without to the upside we're only going to the upside with real escalation the you know, most likely in Ukraine. And the only way to break through to the downside would be barring some kind of financial system collapse. Uh, 
we just need we need we need a we really need a full year to get more supply on the market to help expand. And we have to keep prices high to encourage those acres. I mean, that's just the reality of it. So that is going to be it for the week. If you have any questions on trading or hedging, please give me a call. Uh, I think we're going to have a very interesting August coming here and a lot of opportunity. Again, my number is 312-706-7610. Email is craig.turner at stonex.com. You can also check out the show notes if you like the podcast. Please give us, uh, please go on there and give us a positive review on iTunes and send it along. All right, have a great weekend, everyone, and I'll talk to you soon. This material is conveyed as a solicitation for entering into a derivatives transaction. This material has been prepared by a Daniels Trading Broker who provides research market commentary and trade recommendations as part of his or her solicitation for accounts and solicitation for trades. Daniels Trading, its principals, brokers, and employees may trade in derivatives for their own accounts or for the accounts of others due to various factors such as risk tolerance, margin requirements, trading objectives, short-term versus long-term strategies, technical versus fundamental market analysis, and other factors, such trading may result in the initiation or liquidation of positions that are different from or contrary to the opinions and recommendations contained therein. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future performance. The risk of loss in trading futures contracts or commodity options can be substantial, and therefore, investors should understand the risks involved in taking leveraged positions and must assume responsibility for the risks associated with such investments and for their results. You should carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources. You should read the risk disclosure accessed at www.danielstrading.com. Daniels Trading is not affiliated with, nor does it endorse any trading system, newsletter, or similar service. Daniels Trading does not guarantee or verify any performance claims made by such systems or services.